Hey everyone, we have received exceptional support for the Diaries Plus. It means so much to us. It's been a tough year for us. We're down on sponsors, but you keep lifting us up and making this show possible. And because of that, we get to keep making more cool shows for you. So today we're releasing a new series on Diaries Plus called Good, Good, Bad. Trips, adventures, and fiascos that define our lives. On New Year's Eve 2023, Mason Gravelly slid a stand-up paddleboard into the tannin-stained waters of Lake Okeechobee and embarked on an adventure he's been dreaming of for years, an unsupported crossing of one of our country's biggest lakes. Between the weather, toxic algae, and alligators, he was told it was preposterous. But Mason's journey was a culmination of years of Florida adventures and a passion for conservation. Here's a little taste of the first good, good, bad episode, Alligator Lake. Wherever you are is an adventurous place to people that aren't from there. And so it's like, I'll be honest, right now at this point in my life, I would never leave within an hour or two of my home if I could. And I'd probably, that's probably going to change at some point. But right now, that's like my reality. And I did not see that coming. Like, I I would have laughed at you if you you said that's the way you're going to think in five years. And so... It, it, all of us have to go through it. Like, oh, adventure is elsewhere or life and fulfillment and what we're looking for is elsewhere. And I think part of maturing and just part of just living this life is one, going through that. And two, <laughs> realizing everything you need is right here. You know, how many times have people told us that, but it, it takes learning it yourself, you know? Subscribe to Plus Now for the full story and access to all new episodes. As always, Thank you for your support. Now, on to the show. Breaking news. We'll shut down the government. The federal government. You can't depend on this institution. Shut down. Doggone it, we can't even vote on it. Congress was unable to. No, no, no. Hell no. This is the sound of politics these days. It can feel like a nonstop wave of people screaming. A made-for-TV special with heroes and villains. And speaking personally, when I watch the news, it feels more like a high-stakes high school gossip almost like a soap opera. It seems as if there's no common ground. And it makes me depressed because it hasn't always been like that in our country, particularly when it comes to the environment. It's easy to forget that, is that clean air, clean water, national parks, the importance of the outdoors, these were things that our country's leaders used to mostly agree on. And now, there doesn't seem to be too much signal through the noise. And even though there's incredible political dysfunction at the highest level, our government and all its branches, it still churns forward in the business of governing. And that churn, it impacts us in ways both big and small. In our little niche, our world of climbing, skiing, hiking, and general outdoor loving people, this governance impacts the places we care about. These spaces that have been intentionally created with maps and zoning laws, they've been organized and fought over and maintained. And all of that is constantly up for debate. Whether we care about it or not, government agencies, tribes, nonprofits, corporations, environmentalists, oil barons, community activists, and capitalists are all quietly lobbying for or against how our lands get used. Last year in our Endangered Spaces series, we took a look at the threats to the places we love. This year, we wanted to provide a little hope. Stories about how people are taking on the challenge of protecting wild places in clever ways, finding the cracks to operate in, and making the most of it. Today, 
producer Andrew Burton and I bring you a story about how a handful of kayakers and climbers, let's call them reformed dirtbags, helped orchestrate one of the biggest wins for public lands in recent history during one of the most partisan eras of all time. How'd they do it? Persistence. I'm Fitzko Hall, and you're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. I grew up outside of Washington, D.C. Uh, I was a big kayaker growing up. That was kind of how I got into the outdoors and what kind of brought me into really being fired up to work on conservation. Okay, so this is Lewis Geltman. Lewis is a policy director for an organization called Outdoor Alliance, or OA, as they call it. He lives in White Salmon, Washington, a kayaking hotbed on the Columbia River. For the last year, Lewis has been fighting for a $40 billion bucket of money that's used by the U.S. government to support outdoor recreation and public lands. You said $40 billion, like 40 with a B. Yeah, $40 billion with a capital B. It is a lot of money. If you give me a second, I'll explain more, but I have to give you a little bit of background first. So Lewis is what you would call a policy wonk. He's just as much at home in a dense piece of legal work as he is in a class five rapid. I think he's the kind of person who is comfortable in a dry suit as he is in a suit and tie. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Uh, OA, his employer, are the lobbyists talking to politicians on behalf of climbers, hikers, mountain bikers, paddlers, and other outdoor enthusiasts. And as policy director, it's Lewis's job to keep tabs on the laws that affect the landscapes we love to recreate on. Think zoning laws for state parks, usage allowances on BLM land, balancing the rights of backcountry skiers versus snowmobilers versus loggers in national forests. It can be pretty dry stuff. Lewis usually works closely with a colleague named Jess Wall. At the time this story was taking place, throughout 2018, Jess was working for an organization with a similar-sounding name, the Outdoor Industry Association, which represents gear and apparel companies in the outdoor industry. So many O's. Totally. (laughs) Jess worked as the government affairs manager for OIA. She's a total badass. She throws down kayaking and skiing and climbing. She also loves wearing heels and living in the nation's capital and politicking with committee aides. Lewis and Jess are kind of like a rad tag team, almost like a really good partnership in the mountains. In early 2018, they started scheming up an idea. Jess starts asking congressional staffers, like, what do you think about the idea of having a big public lands package this year or a big recreation package this year? And people would sort of nod and say, "Eh, I don't know, maybe. That would be cool. Okay, so two things. First, that doesn't sound like a very promising response. And second... What's a, what's a public lands package? Right. So at any given time, there are a lot of small bills that senators and representatives need to pass into law that deal with federal land issues. Some of it can be pretty interesting, but more often it's small potatoes stuff. An airport needs to extend its runway, but it'll go into BLM land, which is managed by the federal government. Or a park wants to add a new two-acre parking lot, but it treads onto national forest. It's work that needs to get done with an act of Congress, but isn't exactly a priority for lawmakers. It's not sexy. 
Lewis tries to help shape those bills. How so? Take Emory County, Utah, for instance. Lewis helped negotiate a bill that would conserve certain sections of the county and designate it with protected status. But again, even if that sounds important, compared to what Congress is usually dealing with, a bill like Emory County zoning is small potatoes. And because these are small issues, the only way these bills get passed into law is by having a bunch of small bills packaged together into one giant bill and passed into law, commonly called a lands package. But it's rare. Here's Jess Wall. About every five or ten years, right after an election in a lame duck, there's an opportunity for a lands package. We don't get them that often, but that's the sweet spot. The last time a major lands package happened was in 2014. In early 2018, she and Lewis saw an opening for one of these lands packages. And while she admitted that D.C. wasn't operating in the same way in the Trump era as it had in the Obama years, she figured it was worth a shot. If you want something to get done in the Hill, you just have to start talking about it as if it's going to happen no matter what. Every member of Congress I meet, hey, are you on board with this lands package? Do you have any bills you want in it? And probably pretty far out where people are looking at me like I had five heads, like there's not going to be this lands package. But it's one of those things where like if you keep whispering it, somehow other people start asking questions and then you've got members. Hey, do I have any bills in this lands package I just heard about? I watched Jess over the course of like a week or maybe even a day go from what do you think about a public lands package to what do you think about the public lands package, like spreading a rumor in high school or something was just unbelievable. But it was slow going. Part of the issue is that people also wanted to talk about this other piece of legislation called the Land and Water Conservation Fund, the LWCF. All right. So you're kind of losing me. There are so many acronyms. Yeah, there, there's a lot of acronyms in this story. Okay, so put this thing together for me. Why do I care? Fair enough, fair enough. Boring name, Land and Water Conservation Fund, but this is the $40 billion bucket of money I was talking about earlier. It funds so many elements of the outdoors, both big and small. Where did it come from? It's this 1965 law that allows the government to purchase and maintain land with the specific intent that it's used by the public for recreation and for infrastructure to be built so we all have an easier time accessing and using the land. So not only is the money helping make parks bigger, it's also helping pay for things like boat ramps at riversides, parking lots for hiking trails, and maps at trailheads. A lot of the money goes to recreating in urban and suburban areas, too. City baseball diamonds, county pools, basketball courts. It gets people outside in all shapes and forms. And how is it funded? Like, where does the $40 billion come from? So the vast majority of the money comes from royalties oil companies pay for being allowed to drill for offshore oil. The thinking is that if oil companies are allowed to drill in public waters and benefit from a shared resource that all Americans have an ownership stake in, well, then some of that money should be reinvested in public lands for outdoor recreation. So you've got oil and gas royalties paying for recreations. Sort of use some land over here for industry and then save some land over here for recreating. Is, am I understanding that right? Yep, exactly. And the program has worked big time. Every year for the past 54 years, Congress has designated how much money should go into the LWCF. As the law currently stands, Congress can put up to $900 million per year. All of it has to be used on outdoor recreational spaces. Since its creation in 1965, $40 billion has been appropriated by Congress into the LWCF. 
every county in the country has benefited. Achievements, big and small, have been tallied. National parks have been created for our enjoyment. State parks have been expanded. Basketball courts have been created. Civil War battlefields and historic sites have been preserved. Hiking trails maintained. Truly, the list goes on and on. Of the $40 billion, only about $18 billion has ever been spent. That leaves $22 billion in the national coffers to be used if and when Congress deems it appropriate to spend more money on outdoor recreational spaces. So has there been a lot of debate about whether this fund is a good or a bad thing? Nope, not really. Politically, the LWCF has been the rare thing that everyone can agree upon. It's fiscally sound, it creates enjoyable spaces, it fosters culture and environment. Republican, Democrat, independent, conservative, liberal, environmentalist, the idea of the outdoors and enjoying time recreating in nature, it transcends politics. Americans love being outside, they want access to the outdoors, and they're happy to see a portion of oil revenue go to the Land and Water Conservation Fund. So then why are we talking about it now? (laughs) Because this is the one thing almost all politicians and people can agree is good. Like basically the one thing that we can all sing kumbaya about, and Congress completely botched it. Why does that not surprise me? (laughs) Yeah. So the LWCF was coming up for reauthorization in 2018. Congress had passed it into law for a set amount of time, and it was due for a re-up. And Lewis and Jess, along with Lewis's boss, another kayaker and lawyer named Adam Kramer, start to pull out every tool in their toolkit to raise the alarm about LWCF reauthorization. They get their members to email their representatives. Opinion pieces in newspapers. They help fly business leaders to D.C. Lobby, lobby, lobby. They're grinding it out. And it's working. 100 days before the LWCF is going to lapse, three Republican senators from Montana, Colorado, and North Carolina hold a press conference outside the Capitol in the muggy June heat to support LWCF reauthorization. Here's Senator Richard Burr from North Carolina. This is one of the most important conservation programs in America. And momentum builds in the House, too. Democrats and Republicans have co-sponsored this. We have 100 days to get it done. If Congress does not reauthorize LWCF, we will lose one of our most powerful tools for protecting our nation's natural, historical, and cultural landmarks. As the summer carries on, policymakers who support LWCF continue to try to garner the attention of their fellow politicians. We need to fully fund the program, something I hope we can do in the near future. The deadline is now just about 78 days away. I'm sort of shocked sometimes how hard-headed we are in the institution. This program has now reached a point where it's 66 days away from expiration. Oh, God. I know where this is going. Senator Byrd just ticked down, went from 100 days, now we're down to four days. We're going to fight for LBCF at every opportunity we have and join us in fighting to reauthorize to save LWCF. Yeah, this doesn't end well. September 27th, 2018, three days before the fund is set to lapse, 
Christine Blasey Ford testifies that Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh tried to rape her when they were in high school. That was a big moment. Everyone was watching, as they should have been, because so much is on the line at that moment in our country. And the LWCF lapses. The oil money keeps getting collected, but it no longer goes to our public lands. I didn't think that LWCF was going to expire. And I worked up until probably midnight of the night before it expired, still thinking we had a shot, like maybe. And everyone's like, Jess, Congress is gone. Like they flew out. Like they're not here. Like maybe they'll be called back for a vote. I mean, I just really couldn't imagine they were going to let one of the most bipartisan, widely supported bills in all of Congress lapse. A good thing just disappears. Are you talking about the LWCF? or the dignity of the Supreme Court. (laughs) A little bit of both. In D.C., the loudest voices in the room get the attention. LWCF simply didn't have enough people fighting for it. There were much louder voices. President Trump, head of the EPA Scott Pruitt, Secretary of the Interior Ryan Zinke, Those guys were actively dismantling decades of environmental protection and conservation. While piling up ethics violations and investigations. Yeah, that too. But the OA team was not going to give up. This is what they're in D.C. for, to fight for our interests. So this idea hits them. Yes! I love ideas. Tell it to me. That lands package, the one they had been working on in the beginning of the year. What if they could convince lawmakers to include LWCF in that lands package? It'd be a monstrous bill with conservation fund as the main attraction and then a grab bag of smaller bills for states and municipalities, kind of an everybody-gets-something-style law. And the timing was right, too. The midterm elections were a month away, which would be followed by a two-month lame duck session. Maybe the stars would align. And it gets better. The team dreams big. What if the LWCF can be reauthorized permanently? No more kicking the can down the road every few years, trying to keep it alive over and over again. The LWCF has 50-plus years of working well. Maybe they can convince Congress to pass it into law for good, forever. But to pull it off, they realized they would have to go to the four corners. That sounds ominous. Who or what are the four corners besides a location in the Southwest? (laughs) So the four corners are some of the most powerful people in the country when it comes to land issues. It's the two Democrats and two Republicans who control the House and Senate committees that oversee land issues. OA recognizes that it will be a difficult process getting bipartisan support in the current political climate to agree on something this expansive, but they feel like this is their shot. They start setting up meetings, talking to committee aides, staffers, politicians, you name it. And at some point, I think the committee staff and their bosses, the top members on those committees, decided that this was an idea worth pursuing, and they started working on negotiating what would be in some sort of package like that. And even when that process started, everybody said, well, who knows if this is actually going to happen. We don't know what the vehicle is going to be, because getting any sort of public land stuff on the floor by itself is a challenge. Okay, hold on. I feel like it's time to fire up some inspirational music. A bunch of kayakers were able to cozy up some of the most important people in DC and just suggest an idea, and it worked. This is seriously underdog, and I love it.
actually, yeah, pretty much. I mean, Lewis and Jess and Adam, they all emphasized that a bunch of organizations and people worked on this. It's not like it was just the three of them against the world. But yeah, they were in the room. Jess says she and Lewis tag team situations. She's good at glad handing and politicking, cozying up with the right people. And then when they want to get down to the nuts and bolts, Lewis is the real policy wonk. And it's not as insane as it sounds. Adam told me this. People think that lawmakers are kind of like untouchable, they're inaccessible, and it's kind of the opposite. They're like surprisingly more accessible than you'd think. And they need to be for their own political survival and for them to do the job that they're signed up for. They need to hear from stakeholders, from people, from constituents, from interest groups where they can't do their job. They can't weigh all these other considerations to figure out how to make the best decision for their states and their districts. Here's the thing, man. Nobody's in charge. Nobody's got absolute control. There isn't any one senator or the president or any of the agencies. Nobody's got enough power to get anything done by themselves. So it's always this horse trading. It's always this aggregation of sentiments, of, of goals. Find out what happens with the bill after the break. And support comes from Kuat Racks. They just released the Ibex, an overlanding truck bed rack that handles substantial loads both on and off the grid because being off the grid is dope. Constructed from lightweight yet durable aluminum, the black powder coat is made for all the nature you can throw at it. Available in six different frame sizes to accommodate most truck models, the Ibex is engineered for adventure with versatile full and half-height configurations. For more details, visit kuat.com. Kuat, because you will absolutely love this bedrock and all the dope places you go. I remember the first point seeing in Bloomberg talking about, uh, you know, the public lands package or the possibility of a public lands package at the end of this Congress and just being like, just laughing, you know? knowing where this thing had come from, that was pretty cool. And once it becomes in one media source and then it, it kind of validates the idea for others and then the it seems like a responsible thing to do to entertain this topic a little further. And then again, it just it adds the momentum of this thing turning into reality. Does it kind of become a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way? Well, not exactly. Just because the media covers it doesn't mean it's going to pass Congress. It's hard to get a bill passed as a law. Most bills get killed in committee. Occasionally, a bill will die on the floor of the House or the Senate. Other bills make it all the way to the White House, only to get vetoed by the president. In this case, the package started with the LWCF, which had just lapsed but enjoyed bipartisan, if non-committal, support. And the plan was then to stack the smaller land bills on top of LWCF. Each new smaller bill that got added had to be cleared by both parties in both chambers, making the package more and more fragile each step of the way. Like it could collapse underneath its own weight. Totally. This is what Jess said. So many people wanted to see LWCF pass that then they started saying, okay, this is real. I mean, there's something to negotiate on. We've got a baseline, it's LWCF, and let's see what else we can put on. Okay, then they put on two bills. Can we agree on this? Okay. Can we put on two more? Can we put on two more? You know, and you almost see how big it's like... um, What's that game where you pull out the blocks and you wait to see if it tips over? I mean, 150 bills were in this package. Every single one pretty much had to get a hearing and a markup. 
And Jess and Lewis can tell it's getting serious. They're hearing less and less while negotiations are happening behind the closed doors. We probably were in the dark for about two weeks of what was in the package. Everybody's a little close to the vest on what's in and what's out at any given time because they don't want to upset these pretty delicate negotiations. Jess's predictions turned out to be accurate. After the midterm elections in November, Congress enters a lame duck session. And then shortly after, the Four Corners announced they're ready to take a lands package to the floor of the Senate, followed by the House. At this point, the bill is 600 pages long. The team must be amped, huh? Yeah. The goal is to encourage politicians to vote it into law before Christmas. If that doesn't happen, then Congress closes for the holidays, and on January 2nd, new members of Congress will be showing up. After that, their window basically closes. Once you've got those members of Congress reaching a deal on something, they didn't do that out of their like fun free time or the good of their own heart. I mean, these staffers worked every night, all night, for weeks and weeks and weeks. And just as Congress was getting ready to pass the bill into law, if we don't have border security, we'll shut down the government. 20 but, times Chuck, you have called I feel like I, I am on crazy pills reporting on this story. It is like constant whiplash. Yeah. Every lawmaker in D.C. gets drawn into the vortex of the federal budget and President Trump threatening to shut down the government if he doesn't get a border wall. For the lands package, what once felt like a guaranteed victory starts to look pretty shaky. It becomes clear that there might be a government shutdown, but the sentiment is also pretty broadly there that if the government gets shut down over the border wall, nobody's going to be ready to come back to the table holding hands about public lands. So we're just sort of crossing our fingers that this, this shutdown doesn't materialize. With the shutdown looming, two of the four corners, Senators Lisa Murkowski of Alaska and Maria Cantwell of Washington, start to try every tool to get the bill passed through the Senate. If it doesn't happen now, there's a good chance it won't happen for at least another two years. At this point, there are a few strategies they can take. Attaching the package to the spending bill that's being fought over, or potentially attaching it to a continuing resolution if one gets written, or a third choice, unanimous consent. What is unanimous consent? So this is a Senate procedure in which, assuming all 100 senators agree upon something, a bill can be brought to the floor without the standard lengthier debate, and it can be passed immediately. Usually it only works on the least controversial bills imaginable, the no-brainers. If Murkowski and Cantwell can gain unanimous consent from their fellow senators, they predict the House will pass the bill and they'll be able to push the package through in the nick of time before a shutdown and before a new Congress. It feels like the only idea that would work in the current climate. So they stage a vote for December 19th, 2018. And literally the moment the hearing on unanimous consent begins on the floor of the Senate, Tea Party Senator Mike Lee, a Republican from Utah, hijacks the bill and gives the other 99 senators an ultimatum. Senator from Utah. Mr. President, reserving the right to object. This bill creates 1.3 million acres of wilderness, about half of which is in my state. This bill permanently reauthorizes the Land and Water Conservation Fund, an entity that's been used to acquire more federal land. Now, coming from a state where two-thirds of the land is owned by the federal government, where we can't do anything without leave from the federal government. This hurts. I've made what I consider a very reasonable offer. And I ask that it be accepted. It involves two words. I want the inclusion of two words to this bill. Two words. Add the words, or Utah, 
to some language in, in the Antiquities Act. I have an amendment that I will counteroffer. I will accept this bill and agree to its adoption if these two words are added to the Antiquities Act, the words, or Utah. So let me clarify it for you. He's demanding Utah be given special status regarding federal and state land, and that he'll only support the bill if federal monuments can no longer be created or expanded in Utah. It's an idea that was popular earlier this decade, but has since been losing steam. And on top of that, he opposes the permanent reauthorization of LWCF. His fellow senators go crazy. If we had a vote on it tonight, it would have passed. Republicans and Democrats would have voted yes. And doggone it, we can't even vote on it here. What we're asking for here tonight is let's that have that debate on the floor. important public policies that, that need floor. to have this body's attention. Is there an objection to the original request from the senator from Alaska? Yes, I object. The senator from Utah's objection is heard. So in a nutshell, Senator Lee torpedoes the whole thing. And days later, at the stroke of midnight, going into December 22nd, 2018. Our breaking news, the federal government now officially shut down. Congress was unable to reach an agreement with President Trump. After the election, everything gets reshuffled in Congress. Republicans are out in the House, Senate seats flip. So we're kind of worried that things are going to fall apart. We're really just sort of hoping that folks will take yes for an answer and that we can we can move this thing as is. Then an interesting thing happens. Senators Lisa Murkowski and Maria Cantwell, the people who brought the bill to the floor of the Senate in the first place, they extract a promise from Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, to bring the package to the floor for a full debate once the government shutdown ends. They figure, okay, Mike Lee blocked our unanimous consent strategy, but if he's the only obstacle and we can have a full debate, the bill will probably pass pretty easily as long as the new Congress doesn't get in the way. But then the shutdown drags on and on and on. The new year comes and goes, shutdown. Early January passes, shutdown. Middle of the month passes, shutdown. Still no movement. Everyone is scrambling, trying to figure out what to do. Finally, it's the end of January, and Lewis is like, screw this, I'm going kayaking. So at this point, the government's still closed. We're not exactly certain what's going to happen and I leave to go to the Grand Canyon. So... <laughs> it turns out Lewis had been planning a trip with friends for the better part of a year, and he figures, eh, what's the worst that can happen? D.C. is shut down, there doesn't seem to be any movement, it's a great time to get away. According to OA's communications director, his last words to her were, don't worry, nothing's going to happen. He heads to Arizona, and the night before he and his buddies put on the river, he checks his phone one last time and sees the government is going to reopen the next day. But at this point, he's already got one foot in the Colorado, and he's not looking back. And did you feel any pangs of guilt as you turned off your phone before putting on? Uh, I did. (laughs) I did, but I I knew we had it covered, so... But it is, I mean, I don't know, it's almost like bittersweet when something really exciting is happening. Like, you kind of want to be at the at the center of that storm a little bit, even even though I was excited to be, to be heading out, for sure. Back in D.C., the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell actually holds to his promise and brings the lands package back to the floor for a debate and a vote. It takes a few weeks, but they put it on the calendar for mid-February. 
Lewis makes it back to D.C. in the nick of time, just as the debate starts. We're at a point that we'd been hoping to get at for some time, which The Senate debates the bill for a period of four days. Senator Leader Mitch McConnell and Minority Leader Chuck Schumer voiced their support. Distinct land bills with importance to nearly every member of this body. I'm certainly one of them. I've always been a supporter of protecting our nation's public lands, our beautiful and pristine national resources. I look forward to voting yes, and I hope it gets a very strong vote here in the Senate, and I hope none of our colleagues will move to delay it. Cue the inspirational music. Finally, it gets brought to a vote on February 12th, 2019. Aye. Mr. Roberts. Aye. Kennedy. Bill passes the Senate, 92 to 8. Senator Mike Lee of Utah is one of just eight senators to vote against it. It's an overwhelming and rare victory. Two weeks later, on February 26th, the House debates and votes as well. The yeas are 363 and the nays are 62. Even Rob Bishop, who had previously spent years opposing reauthorizing the Land and Water Conservation Fund, came around to supporting it. Is this bill perfect? No. It's too big to be perfect. But I am perfectly satisfied and willing to vote for this because without... Finally, the House voted. The bill passes the House 363 to 62. Which means it's veto-proof. The president at this stage can't say no. This thing they all worked so hard on, it finally gets the green light to become a law. The LWCF gets reauthorized permanently, and all those little land bills, they become laws too. Portions of Utah's Emory County receives a protected designation for more recreating. Washington State's Metow Valley gets protected from mining. Sections of rivers receive wild and scenic authorizations. Portions of forest across the country get designated as wilderness areas. The president signs the 600-page bill into law a few weeks later, on March 12th. I want to congratulate every member of Congress, and you're really a special group, to be here today and passing this important legislation. This is undeniably a pretty difficult time in our country's political system. This whole thing felt like such a long shot. Like, this is probably just going to be more bad news. How did you feel when you saw all that work that you put in started to pay off? It does feel like you can move mountains. And we had the best group of staffers I think I'll ever work with. They told me, continue to talk about it like it's true, because we can make this happen. And all we can really do is just put in the work to be ready when the stars align to actually get this thing to move, right? It's like we can't bring something to the floor in the Senate. We can't make anybody do anything. But we can put in the work that puts the odds in our favor. And over time, hopefully we get get the results we're looking for. There's something I heard throughout the reporting of this story from Adam, Lewis, and Jess. The most powerful tool in this whole process is us. It's you and me, the constituents, the people that vote the politicians into office. You know, you guys are, are as important or more important than I could ever be in that effort, right? I mean, Warren Hatch, I mean, what he doesn't need to care what I have to say, right? I don't live in Utah, but he has to care what, what 
the people who voted for him think. And how many, like, how many people do you think it takes reaching out to their congressperson to move the needle? Fewer than you would think. I mean, something like so many of the public lands issues that we work on, I mean, they affect people really widely, but the number of people who are calling and writing and motivated, it's pretty small, right, compared to something like like healthcare. So a pretty small number of people can really move the needle. You know, you think about climbing, and if you're not a climber, you don't understand everything, all the things that go into being a climber or, or kayaking or mountain biking, it's like it's complicated. Figuring out the, the conditions and when to go. And it's not like you just walk up and like climb up a route. It's like you got to learn how to tie in your harness and like set anchors. <laughs> and like there's so much that goes into um, an experience that, you know, like a peak experience. And I think that there is, you know, an analog to, to this bill. Like it looks from the outside like, oh, this is awesome. It all came together. The stars aligned. But there's so much work over so much time, and it wasn't a foregone conclusion that it was going to happen. So, Andrew, what is your gut feeling reporting on this story? Did you ha- did you have reactions after doing this work? Yeah, uh, two thoughts. First, I was amazed at the duality of Congress, both functioning and not functioning. For instance, LWCF, a bill with 50 years of bipartisan support. It's a no-brainer, and we still can't get things like that passed. And yet, at the end of the story, two parties who are fighting like they've never fought before sit down at the table and pass a big sweeping bill. That's amazing. That gives me hope. It's kind of bonkers, right? I mean, like our current our current state politically, it feels so broken. And yet it, it's like maybe if we can do this once on this topic, we can do it again on other issues. Exactly. I hope so. <laughs> you said you had two thoughts. What was the second thought? Okay, so reporting out this story, it showed me just how hard people have fought over the spaces I love. The places that we've all gone climbing or camping or skiing or hiking. I have to be honest, I just kind of assumed they were there for good, forever. But they're not. That's so true. And man, people spend entire careers in the weeds fighting over the minute details in contracts, zoning laws, policing maps, things that are really hard to understand. And the broader public, we take it for granted, don't we? And that's what I'm always blown away when we meet people like this, the quiet people. And I say that as a compliment when I say quiet people, because I mean, yes, social media is part of our democracy, like it or not. And we need people out there rallying troops. And there's people doing wonderful work in that field of getting information out there. That's just one form of activism. And I love it when I meet the people who put their heads down and they do this work. They find the cracks or they figure out how to build connections. They recognize that there are bad things, but then they go to work. They apply this like incredible set of skills and they go to work creating something good. And a lot of times they're making it up as they're going along. They're building, I mean, yes, they're building off previous experiences, but they're always seeking a bigger challenge and just kind of using their minds to figure this out. And they are out there earning our democracy. And I think sometimes as a community, as a country, I think that we forget 
while it should be a right to have a responsive democracy, one that listens to us, history tells us that we actually have to earn our democracy over and over again, generation after generation, issue by issue. And there's something really noble to it. And seeing that in action, I find it inspiring. I, I, how, did, how does it make you feel, Andrew? It makes me want to go out and get more involved, figure out what I can do to be proactive for these spaces and not just someone passing through. Something Adam said also sticks with me. And for anybody who thinks that their voice doesn't matter if they don't say what they think, they basically just doubled the influence of somebody that they don't agree with. So think of it that way. Amen. Thank you for reporting this story. Absolutely. Here's to the quiet work. And here's to the dirtbags who've gone to work. Support for the Diaries comes from you. Thank you so much to everyone who has donated. You can do it on our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. It helps send us around, talk to all these cool people. We really appreciate it. You've made us better. Music today from Max Grossweight, Nasei 23, Little Glass Men, the Free Harmonic Orchestra, and Kulla. The tracks are courtesy of Free Music Archive or from the artists themselves. Jacob Bain and Nice Koto composed our theme song. You can find links to the artists at our website. This episode was produced by Andrew Burton and me, Fitz Cahal. Cordelia Zars did the edit. Becca Cahal is our executive producer. I'm Fitz Cahal, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in.